Hi, I'm Melissa Withers, and this is Unfounded. In each episode, a guest and I tackle a topic about biz building and startup culture, but we do it by asking each other only three questions, one about the past, one about the present, and one about the future. The third question, the one about the future, that's the wild card. We have not shared this question with each other in advance. And that's it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for being here today. And I'm so happy to have you as a guest on on. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for having me. Our topic today is help me, Obi-Wan. You are my only hope. Uh, (laughs) And it's a little bit about mentorship and business building. And when I think about mentorship and startup culture, you you and I have spent a little time together, even recently, kind of working in the trenches together. And it's been a really interesting experience to uh, parallel play with another mentor and see different styles. And and certainly as founders, you and I have been on the other side of the table and we've been um, very dependent on other people to help us. So when I think of uh, someone had this uh, conversation with uh, you, no one does it better than you. Uh, So thanks again (laughs) for being here. As you know, we have only three questions to explore this topic. One looks to the past, one looks to the present, and the other leans into the future. And as you also know, we have shared uh, the first two with each other, a little sneak peek into the questions about the past and the present. But question number three, the one about the future, that one's the wild card, and we have not shared that with each other in advance. And as you also know, I don't do formal bios on the show. So for anyone watching or listening, if you wanna learn a little bit more about Greg's incredible experience as a founder, as an investor, as a mentor, you can check it out the show notes. But in lieu of a formal bio, I've asked Greg to pick three words to describe himself before we jump into the conversation. So Greg, hit me up. Three words. <laughs> I think the, the three words are uh, entrepreneurship, technology, and design. I think uh, things that really embody some of my thinking is that fusion of how do you combine the elements of uh, business and growing a company and that entrepreneurship elements but then mixing it with the elements of technology, which is, you know, whether it's code or architecture or software, and then really thoughtful design and user experience and user interface. I think those three elements embody a lot of the things that, that I both enjoy working on and working with entrepreneurs and startups on. No one needs or wants my affirmation, but I would say having <laughs> having known you now, for, those are like three of the best words to describe you. I don't, I'm not sure I could pick better words um, from the outside. So um, I think it's pretty true. You've nailed it. Um, okay, help me, Obi-Wan. <laughs> Let's talk mentorship. Uh, get in your time machine, Greg. I'm going to ask you to look backwards for this question. Um, <laughs> today, us. Uh, Mentorship is canonical to startup culture, right? It's it's a curriculum, and communities and organizations and, and people um, we spend a lot of time and resources actually teaching and enabling mentorship. Uh, I, you and I have both helped entrepreneurs learn how to interact better with their mentors. Like it's it's become its own thing. Um, and but you and I are both old enough to remember when we were building businesses, it was just called getting advice. Uh, and uh, it was equally important, but treated in a very different way. And I'm just curious, do, when you now look at that from your own experience as a founder and now as a mentor in this kind of mentorship structure, do you think your experience as a founder would have been uh, uh, different if you'd had a more formal experience with mentorship training? Uh, I think it definitely would have been super helpful. I mean, I uh, for many years, I kind of did it on my own 
and you know I used the library as a resource. I used the internet as a resource, and I didn't spend enough time asking for advice. Uh, and it was only after you know I'd made some progress, made some traction, built a little bit of my network that I started reaching out and uh, using using that network for mentorship. And I think it was transformative. You know, entrepreneurship and certainly being a CEO is an incredibly lonely job. A lot of people don't think of it that way because they only read tech French articles and they look aspirationally upon CEOs or leaders of like, oh, I want to be the, you know, whoever, whether it's Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or, or someone else who you, you admire. And, you know, it's a really hard job. And oftentimes there aren't enough uh, network connections or other people to ask and advisors. And so, you know, having been through it, that's one of the things that led me to want to be a mentor because there are so many things that you start to discover from having gone through the process that start to be more instinctual. Like, you know, I've been through hundreds of negotiations, you know, hundreds of procurement processes, hundreds yeah. of investor conversations. And so some of the things that are obvious to me, just because it's pattern recognition, you know, isn't necessarily obvious to a first-time entrepreneur or founder. Uh, you know, my mentor uh, who helped me in the early days of my, my business uh, is Jay Badson, and he's a fantastic entrepreneur. And, you know, when we started working together, it was very much a symbiotic mentorship relationship where, you know, I was approaching things from a very different perspective and giving him insight. And he was approaching, you know, his problems, the things that he was uh, working on from his perspective. And so, you know, we didn't even, like, it wasn't so much mentorship. It was like kind of mind melding. How do we help each other uh, from very different kind of frameworks and perspectives of where we've been and what we've done? Yeah, I know. I'm not supposed to respond, but it's really, really, really hard. It's the hardest part about the format of the show is that I, I'm not, I can't, I can't do it. So <laughs> well, it's, it's Greg, your show. Take me, take me, it's your take show. Me. You can, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> and I do, and, and I, and I, and I do. Um, all right. Uh, your turn. Take me to, take me to the past. Oh, hold on. Let me look up my questions. Um, or ask me, you, you can ask me any question you want. I didn't even look at them. No, it's, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's okay. um, um, so in, in working with lots of companies, um, and I'm sure you've seen this too, oftentimes companies approach me either as an angel investor uh, and they're primarily looking for capital, right? That's their, their main motivation. And as you've worked with founders and uh, dug into what they're doing, oftentimes you discover what they need most is not necessarily capital. And kind of what are some of your learnings from kind of either that discovery or working with founders in that, that way? Yeah, I, and I think we reap what we sow and we talk so much about fundraising and capital that um, we sort of we, we sort of ask for that. That's, uh, we we kind of get founders early, especially first time founders, pretty myopically obsessed with capital. Again, money is important. I don't wanna be glib about it. But the part where I think we still play catch up is on the capacity side and helping founders understand particularly in the beginning, the linkage between cash and capacity and being really creative about how you create the capacity you need, particularly in cash poor environments. And I think there are ways that you can supplement your capacity stack 
without capital, when you are thinking about advisory, mentorship, and resources just more creatively. And I think if you go into each relationship thinking a person's just going to write you a check, you may be missing other opportunities to draw capacity out of that relationship. And again, it's really hard to have no walking around money. I mean, there's capital required uh, to, uh, even for many entrepreneurs, I think it's easy for us to forget that if you don't come from a network of privilege, you don't, you can't even feed yourself or, or house yourself in the absence of, of some source of capital, right? So there's a lot of complexity there around capital. But I think we really gloss over how easy it is to burn money and waste money if you don't have the right capacity uh, to deploy it and also the right advisory to help you make the best decisions that you can in the like with the broadest context. And so I feel that I mean, we, even in most of my investing, I've found myself gravitating towards cash and capacity models, models that explicitly tie together cash and capacity, because I think it's really meaningful even for a very long time. And so oftentimes when I'm in the mentorship role, the I you'll you'll you probably hear this too. The, the founders will come to you and say, "We need money," and I'm like, "I'm sure you do, but let's unpack that a little bit." So, what do you want to do with that money? And then even another layer is, "Okay, well, in order to put that money to that use, what capacity do you need?" Because even if you get the money and you don't have the capacity, you don't just go out and buy capacity off the street, right? Like it's really difficult. So, I think having that kind of having someone around you who has built something before, they can sort of connect those dots around money capacity and then kind of stitch that all together so you make good use of that money. Uh, and I feel like so much of our entrepreneurship, our entrepreneurship training is a lot about fundraising, like how to build a deck, how to pitch to angels, right? Like how to build a pro forma. We sometimes, uh, I think, gloss over a little bit about the, well, how do you build capacity in a cash constrained environment and move the needle to either make getting that cash a little easier or to ensure that when you do get that cash, you're gonna get the mileage out of it that you wanted. So it's like, a, I feel like it's like peanut butter and chocolate, like <laughs> cash and capacity. Like they go, they're together for, it's really a long time before you just pour money into a thing and it does what you want. Like it's a nice place to be, but it's like a $15 million company. Yeah. Like it's way, way over there yeah. before. Even then, have a good time. It doesn't happen. I have tons of friends who run enterprise companies who it just doesn't work that way. So yeah, I think it's a big, it's a big part of what we do. So all right, we're back to today. We're on the terra firma of now in the present. <laughs> um, and this is something, again, I've really enjoyed um, having opportunities to work with other mentors in a mentoring environment just to see how different people kind of kind of handle it. I think I've learned a lot. Um, so you know that managing mentors and getting the most out of it is like, it's not a set it and forget it experience. And I think there's a lot of glib hyperbole around get a mentor and then suddenly your business will be transformed. But it's actually a real, it's a real discipline and, a, and an endeavor to, um, to find and leverage mentors in a way that's really satisfying for everybody. Um, what gets you really jazzed to, to kind of get involved or stay involved? And then on the flip side, you know, what most disappoints you or repels you um, from wanting to play that role? Yeah, I mean, I, I think entrepreneurs that really uh, in the in the beginning part of the relationship, really seek to understand more about uh, the things that I can most adequately help them in terms of either scale or problem solving or um, you know whatever whatever it is, whether it's design, technology, or something else. You know, when they invest the energy to really understand, like oh, what is Greg's superpower and how can he really turbocharge the business. 
and then they reference back to those things, you know, over whether it's weeks or months or even years, you know, that's super energizing because I get to use yeah. my superpower and it gets to turbocharge their business. Like even earlier this week, you know, I was, uh, did a walk and talk with an entrepreneur uh, who I've been working with for a couple of years. And because he knows some of the things I'm particularly good at, you know, he sees those opportunities in his uh, business day to day where he's negotiating a contract or he's trying to maximize a particular revenue or trying to figure out how to deal with a particular staff issue or whatever it is. And he's like, he knows that I'm good at that. And he knows I enjoy those things that I'm good at. And so it, it, it really kind of, it helps everyone, right? We get to use that special power and it gets to really leverage his business. Um, you know, the, the things that, that kind of turn me off or kind of bother me is just like, uh, just status updates, you know, I don't, I don't mind status, meaning that, that it's fine. Like, give me an update, send me an email, those types of things, but that's not really leveraging me as a mentor or leveraging the potential of what the relationship could be. Like, it, it's great. Communicate your, your stats, your KPIs, your whatever, like, and it's great to do that in an email or a dashboard. But if, you know, we have a once a month or once a quarter, time to sync up, you know, that's not really good use of either of our time to kind of give me that, what, what could have essentially been an email, uh, you know, yeah. I, I'd rather dive in deeper and really solve a problem with you uh, and really maximize whatever time we have together. Yeah, it's just, it's like the, it's not a vending machine. Like you just like, <laughs> you know, like you really want it to be a relationship, right? And I think this is where it gets really glossy. People talk about get a mentor and really you need to think about them as like almost, and I sometimes use like agricultural metaphors, like you're farming, these are, you're planting seeds and you need to pay attention and some of them will die and not all of them will grow and some will grow forever and some will only grow for a while, but you've got to kind of keep your eye on them and make strategic choices, right? About how you're going to nurture them and, and treat them as like both ways. I mean, I think mentors can be super assholes to founders too, and not see, and not see their not see the reciprocity in that, right? And demand updates apropos of nothing. Like, like you can see all kinds yeah, of, I mean, it, you know, it really does go both ways, right? Especially for a founder who, uh, you know, it's early, early pre-seed pre or seed stage. They, they can't necessarily afford to have, you know, six-figure C-level roles across their entire company. And so if you know you have gaps and you're like, okay, I don't have a head of marketing. I don't have a head of finance. I don't have a head of you know, operations or procurement, maybe you have, you know, a senior engineer doing development, but you don't have someone who's kind of led and scaled, you know, uh, an organization to hundreds of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of users, you know, having mentors or even angel investors, advisors, people who you can turn to whose superpowers are one of all of those things. That's really when you turbocharge so much of your business. One, you make your fundraising much easier because you're surrounding yourself by people who are significantly smarter than yourself, which some people kind of get nervous. like, oh, these people are smarter than me. Like, is that okay? And it's like, yes, that is great. You know, my, yeah. my advice is like, always surround yourself by people who are smarter than you. And in fact, if someone, you can't point to them and, and identify how they are smarter than you, then like, what what are you doing? You're, you're probably wasting your time or their time. Um, yeah. 
I, yeah, it's exciting. I know that I, I know that in my best mentorship relationships, if I'm not making you a little uncomfortable and you're not pushing me a little bit, then it's probably not firing on all cylinders. So, um, all right. Okay. I'm off track again. So, all right, great. <laughs> hit me up, hit me up with your question about the present. Um, hold on. I'm on a call, Becky. Sorry. <laughs> real world. This is real, real world. world. That's how it is. Um, So uh, this is this is is this now or is this future? Present, right now, Present. right here in the in the day. Okay. So uh, every time you are uh, running a business, uh, doing something that is challenging, working with an entrepreneur, and you crest some mountain or some challenge or something you're trying to accomplish, you know, a you have that sense of like, ooh, there's an accomplishment, like I did something, but then off in the distance, you start to see that next mountain, that next challenge. And that can sometimes be um, empowering. And sometimes it can be discouraging, like, oh my God, this mountain is so yeah. big. And so for you, what is that big mountain today? As it relates to mentorship and advisory or just- uh... Uh, e Either yourself personally, or as it relates to mentorship and advising, like, like how, how do you, yeah. how do you help yourself set those goals and how do you help so founders I've, I've set them? Lot, yeah, I thought a lot about this. Um, I really missed out on a lot of mentorship early in my career. One, because I, I struggled finding um, fits. Like I, I struggled finding archetypes that I felt like I could be comfortable and relate to. It was, you know, early in startup land, there weren't that many women. Um, there certainly weren't many uh, people who, you know, were first generation college students. Like I just, I just struggled. I had a lot of um, imposter syndrome and I, you know, I sort of had come up through with a lot of institutional biases and different industries. And I just was, I struggled with it. I struggled with having the, the, um, the confidence to, to find and fit into relationships that really worked for me. But that journey that you're talking about, like that is, that is one of the most relentless things that no one tells you about when you start something is that every time you achieve the goal, you you just have a fresh perspective on the hill that is now ahead. It's it's a little bit like why I like climbing mountains and running marathons. Is it's um, I'm like a glutton for that punishment, but it's I can look at it now with such maturity and much more grace. But I remember how dispiriting that was. And founder fatigue is real, and that it it is and that is for a long ass time. Like this is not something that you know you raise a Series A and all that is behind you. In fact, that's like the beginning of the real pain, right? In so many ways, and I think that's something that a lot of my current mentorship and advisory is focused on is being in the C-suite with founders uh, who especially haven't had a lot of informal education. So C-suite um, founders who have come into their entrepreneurial journey um, as first-generation founders, maybe not coming from networks of privilege. Um, I, I advise a lot of women who really have not had a lot of intensive training in, in entrepreneurship. And I think sometimes being that voice of compassion and, and not just to say, don't worry, it'll get better, but to actually give the founder permission to like acknowledge that it's hard and that it hurts and that it's real and it's not in your head and you're not, a, you're not a bad founder because you're feeling worn out and feeling raw and feeling like 
you just don't know when you're going to finally feel like you get to eat the sandwich. You know, like when do you actually <laughs> just get to sit and eat the sandwich versus run around the world trying to make the sandwich and then just find, when do you get to take a bite, you know? And I think um, a lot of that, especially uh, for founders that are um, not as well supported through existing networks of, of privilege, that is it's really important work um, to normalize those feelings. Cause you know, he, again, you don't read, you're not gonna read about that in a TechCrunch article. Like you might, but it's probably still not, you're still not gonna relate. Like there's still a lot of machismo yeah. around that. And it's, um, but for, particularly for people who have other life responsibilities, people who, you know, as people who are parents or who are trying to care for their aging parents or whatever, just worried about paying the rent while also, you know, worrying about their employees and everything else. I think that there's a huge opportunity uh, in the future, especially as we progress to normalize those things and to destigmatize them. And particularly for founders that are more vulnerable and have less of a safety net, a lot of those feelings can be just catastrophic and overwhelming to decision-making. And so I think C-suite mentorship beyond just the, the kind of areas of expertise, just somebody that you trust who doesn't try to overpower your your judgment, but really can be there, you know, to to modulate those emotions and almost like stop you from getting too high. I mean, sometimes I'm like <laughs> I am Debbie Downer. Sometimes I'm like, congratulations, like who cares? Like thank you next, right? That, like that can be helpful too. Just you are like the buffer, right? Like you're like the two mattresses that stop the bouncing ball from getting too high or getting too low. And I think that I didn't have a lot of that uh, in my my career early on. And yeah, I, I wish I had, I think I would have made better decisions. I think I would have exited something sooner. I think I would have stayed longer. I think I would have enjoyed my life a little more and maybe been just less stressed all the time. If I knew that, that it was okay to feel really worried about your staying power, I think, I think it could have made a really big difference. So I think that that's something that is really, really important to me as a mentor and as an advisor. So that's that. All right, buckle up. We're back in the time machine. We're going to jump forward. We're, doo -doo 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 -doo. We're heading to the future. Um, all right, Greg, today we are writing the new commandments of mentorship that will be followed forevermore. Uh, and you, you, Greg, Rays, have been asked to contribute to the things a mentor should never do again list. What would you put on that list? <sighs> things a mentor should never do. Yep. Like bad things that mentors sometimes do that they never, never more. I'm trying to think of like, you know, a, a good one. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I think the, the, the big one to consider for mentorship is, uh, either assuming or generalizing, um, you know, each startup is different and each um, founder is different. And I think it's very easy for someone in a mentorship role to generalize or assume um, either knowledge or skill set or things about the business that aren't necessarily true. You know, key for being a good mentor is offering perspective or a fresh set of eyes or a different way to look at the world or your own personal anecdotes or experiences, um, but trying not to, you know, direct, decide, dictate, 
what the founder does and how uh, she or he runs and operates their business. Um, you can, you know, in, in terms of giving, giving mentorship, you know, you may suggest, you may, um, uh, you may have past experience in terms of how things work or what some of the best ways to do stuff, but it, it's actually valuable to caveat that, that you may be wrong, you know, and I often tell yeah. uh, the people I'm working with, like, Hey, this is my experience. You know, you're working with, you know, so-and-so company and your experience with them may be very different. You know, you may be dealing with a different department, a different person, a different, you know, problem, a different, whatever, like as, um, you know, the only thing that's constant about, you know, business technology and design is it's always changing. And so the things that uh, worked, you know, five years ago may not work tomorrow, uh, may not work in a pre-COVID world, may not work in a post-COVID world. Like, and you have to caveat, the, you know, you have to think through those scenarios as yeah. a mental work to kind of frame those discussions correctly um, so that the founder can make some of their mistakes themselves. And I think making mistakes is part of the founder journey as well. Um, yeah. You know, that's the only way you get good and learn and, and having other perspectives, other points of view in terms of, you know, what has worked for others can help uh, remove some of the, some of the easy misses, you know, uh, or point you in the right direction. And that's one of the biggest kind of shortcuts that a mentor can provide is, you know, they have the pattern recognition. Oh, I've seen this problem a hundred times. You should go look at X. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think not, not over assuming either the, the capabilities of a particular founder or the specifics of their situation. Yeah, I just, yeah, I, I think, I, I think you have one job as a mentor and it's never, you can't never phone it in. Like if you can't take the time to really care and, and really then just be, strong enough to tell someone I'm either not interested enough in your company to take the time right now to do this. I can't do it because I'm doing other things, but nothing distresses me more when I see a mentor phoning it in and just be like, but really not, um, not just off, not being authentic in that way. Not, not I think that's really, so you know, you just, I drives me bananas and I see it. I see it a lot. I see it a lot, especially as mentorship has become kind of professionalized and trendy. And, and I think authenticity is so important. You know, I was talking to another startup earlier this week and, you know, I told the founder, I don't, I don't see it. I don't, you know, I don't get the direction that you're going. And ultimately, like I said, like, hey, if, if you want to keep going in this direction, that's fine. I'm probably not the right mentor for you because if I don't have conviction, I'm just going to be a detractor from the business and from the founder and yeah, the entrepreneur. That's not going to be a good thing. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, like, I'd rather not be negative energy for you because yeah. uh, I'm not I'm not feeling what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, I really agree. Okay, um, last last for me, uh, take me to the future, Greg. I'm looking yes. at my crystal ball. What did I write? Okay. Um, Launch me into tomorrow. So... Um, you know, a big part of mentorship is uh, setting goals and setting perspective and setting the future. And, you know, as you've worked with entrepreneurs and you'll work with, with folks in the future, how do you see yourself telling them the cold, hard truth when the future does not look as bright as uh, they would like to think it looks? 
Yeah. So this is one of the, uh, this is something I've really devoted uh, to doing work around is, I mean, you know, I have a way with words and I, <laughs> I, I, I can be unvarnished and I will be honest and truthful, but without beating you up. Um, I've actually been thinking a lot about one last kind of frontier in the realities of supporting an entrepreneur on their journey. And that is knowing when you can talk to them about the end or about an outcome that isn't the smashing success that we talk about all the way up to that point. I mean, I know this is kind of a little bit glim, a little bit glum for some, but there's this new thing called like death doulas. And there, there's a new uh, healthcare profession where people are training to help individuals in that final part of their lives when death is coming and how to how to prepare for it the same way you would prepare like a doula would prepare you for birth right and really understanding of the power of agency and transparency about what's happening to you and the first time i told a founder that it was okay to quit that it wasn't going to work out that and that that yes they could drag on a little longer there was some ways to you know put fifty thousand dollars in the bank and and but that it wasn't right it wasn't good for them and in the end they weren't doing their their investors or their colleagues any favors by protracting that i realized how when i was in that moment i realized how limited our language is for um for outcomes other than kind of successes or total explosions, like when, which is most companies don't die overnight. <laughs> there's like a process and there's not a lot of language for that. And I think there are not a lot of advisors and mentors who who feel comfortable um, being a death doula. Um, and I'm not saying I want to be one, but I think that there's an incredible opportunity here to really support a new generation of entrepreneurs who are coming into entrepreneurship thinking that if they do not succeed, uh, at all costs, their whole life, like their whole lives will be ruined forever. But really, uh, really, the, what will only be ruined is their lives for forever. And I think for generations past, there was a lot of safety net for an entrepreneur that had a failure and we glorified failure, you know, we would say, hey, you know, fail fast, right. And, and there was a lot of second chances. But for a generation of entrepreneurs that maybe don't have safety nets, don't have personal savings, you know, maybe don't have a, an immediate access to a job, I think we have to be more thoughtful about how we talk about relative risks and rewards and giving pause when there, there's choices that maybe aren't black or white, but they're important. And the answer isn't always persist. It is not always persist. That is not always the right thing for the human. It is not always the right thing for, for the investors. And, and it's not always the right thing, um, well, for the human, just put the human back at that. And I think our language, our toolkit for navigating that is thin. And we have some opportunities there to talk about outcomes and outcome planning um, that's just more transparent from the beginning, still really aspirational, and really positive, but talking about alternative outcomes um, beyond the exit, right? That might happen along the way that could be positive if anticipated and framed correctly. That doesn't have to be um, negative, but in the case of a, of a really, um, a really bad outcome where there's just unfortunate circumstances, maybe not even the failure of the company, just sometimes shit just happens and you cannot persist just there. There is, it is the end. We don't make that very graceful. It's really hard. And I think yeah. there's a huge opportunity for older mentors who have kind of lived through that, mostly in our own silent death, right? Like waiting for it to pass like a nightmare 
to uh, destigmatize that and not deconsequence it. I mean, there are consequences when shit doesn't work out, but I feel like that's something that's a huge opportunity. That's a lot of unwritten, a lot of green fields there. And I've been having those conversations in my C-suite advisories now, not in a negative way, just in a, hey, you have an outcome in mind. Awesome, we're working on that outcome. We're gonna do it, we're gonna, we're gonna crush it, we're gonna kill it. However, there is another outcome that we should probably plan for and it is this. And so you almost start by laying the foundation by making the opportunity to speak confidently about outcomes as not good or bad, just as consequences and choices. And then I think when you get to those moments where things look really grim, over time, the language will be more natural to talk about, um, about how do you wrap things up when it doesn't work out, which is a lot of times, because <laughs> like I always say that startups do yeah. one thing great, they die. Like, you know, start, startups born <laughs> to die. Like, that's my bumper sticker, right? Like, what's the, what do startups do better than anybody? Die, like, that's what they do. Um, but we don't, we don't have a lot of language for that uh, and particularly don't have a lot of language for it for, um, for women and people of color who, are, who have not been afforded some of the same cultural permissions uh, or, or um, you know, support mechanisms to have those failures not be consequential. So I now I'm defining myself as the death doula for no, startups. No, no, not at all. I'm not sure I about. <laughs> I think, you know, so much of the language around startups is like, you know, we're going to launch this rocket and we're going to go to the moon. And, you know, the reality is, is that there are lots of ways to land the rocket without having it explode, yes, uh, exactly. you know, and, you know, that, that or without you being in it, even if the or, rocket crashes, you don't have to sit in it and die. <laughs> like you can um, hop off on a parachute. And sometimes that, that, that depending on the entrepreneur, sometimes that's actually the best thing for the company as well. Like, and, you know, I, I know um, this person who's, you know, you know, a, a C, you know, a CEO for hire, and he loves that kind of thing, right? Like yeah. he'll come in when the company's going sideways, and he takes the pieces that are working and restructures it. And that's something that sometimes the original CEO is just incapable because he's too close to the problem. Yeah, and it, it really maybe shouldn't be asked to do that. It's just not actually the right, like you know, kind of like you know, square peg round hole, right? So yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's it. We circumnavigated the topic through past, present, <laughs> and future. And this is why I picked this format because it stops me from going on and on and on having like my soliloquy moment. So um, thank you. I love mentoring with you and love having you as an advisor and friend uh, on this wild and crazy ride. Um, so on behalf of all the entrepreneurs whose lives I know you have touched, um, thank you uh, for them and from them. Um, but mostly it's, I just always like hanging out with you. So thank yeah, you so much for fun. being here today. Always a good time.